The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. A quick introduction for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before. I'm Daniel, and each week I bring you a conversation with someone who I think is inspirational or brings something inspiring to the podcast. It's about things that change or could change our lives, and that's why I called it Life Changes You. Listen to the range of topics around psychology, mental health, and inspiration, and find out how life changes you. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You, another week, another guest. I thought before I came on today I need to say something different than another week, another guest, but there you go, I said the same thing again and that's okay because life changes you and by next episode I will probably have something different to say because it would have changed my life. This guy who I'm going to talk to now, uh, if you've been following the podcast, you would have heard quite a few conversations with him and I really love speaking to Chad because it's Chad Nelson. Because every time I do an episode with him, I go away thinking different ways uh, in my life and what I've learned from our conversation. So, Chad, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for that, that intro. I, I love our conversation. So it's, it's a joy and an honor for me to be here uh, chat with you. Look, and I think it's probably about 18 months ago we originally connected and started chatting and then you started coming on the podcast and... I was talking, and I sent this to you in a private message the other day, but I was talking to someone the other day, a lady in the UK, and she said, I love Chad. I love the way he talks. I love how he brings everything in, and it's easy to understand. And I think one of the good things about you is everything you've read, you remember little bits and pieces about it, so you can quote what other people have said, which I've thought to myself, well, wouldn't that be good to do that? But whenever I think of a quote, I go, I can't remember what that quote was I was just about to use. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've gotten into the habit, this may be a little bit of a, a rabbit trail, but over the last several years, I, I didn't kind of become a reader, quote unquote, until later in life, late thirties. And I read a lot of books over the next several years. And I finally just stopped and I said, you know what, I'm going to pull up the top 15 books or the, the 15 books that maybe had the biggest impact on me when it comes to like my struggles with depression and anxiety, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, obsessive dwelling. And I pulled those top 15 books out and basically, well, I should back up. So I always take notes when I read books. Yep. So what I did is I just took my notes. And so now what I've done the last several months is every morning for an hour, I'm just going over my notes slowly, just thinking through like, where am I at in life right now with that? Or where does that apply to my life now? Or, or how have I grown in that regard when it comes to self-doubt? And I just find like that stuff starts to stick in my mind where I see the application. So that's kind of no. been the journey I've been on late, lately. Well, that's amazing. And look, I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that. I I read quite a few books and I never think to go back. Sometimes I I put a post-it note on a page where I think there's something really important. And, you know, doing the podcast, I get a lot of books sent to me. And even though I take in all the information, because I read, I don't know, a hundred, 200 page book in a couple of days before I talk to someone, I take all the information in. But then I think after I've done the conversation, it sort of starts to slowly seep out of my brain again because it's not needed again because I just needed to hold it all there while I spoke to that person. Yeah. But that's a really good thing to reflect on and go back and and look at those books and look at the things that you think are important. Well, yeah. And 
One of the things that got me doing that is I read a book by Jerome Bruner, probably about six years ago, and he had this little line in there. What he said was this, and this is what really was the catalyst for me to start doing that. He said, learning is not necessarily that which happens with the advent of new information, but seeing things differently. And so here's how that applied for me. You know, when I read a book for the first time, it's new information. But when I go reread it, it's the same information, but I'm seeing it differently. I'm coming at it with a new set of eyes because of the intervening experiences that I've had and conversations that I've had. And so, yeah, that's what I found as I've gone back through my notes and, and I've even reread a few of these books that um, it's like learning anew. Oh, you are 100% right. Because as you're saying that, I'm thinking of some of the documentaries I've watched. And when I've re-interviewed someone a year later and I've watched the original documentary and then they're coming on and there's a second part, I still watch the first documentary again. And I learned so much more because I think as we're reading or as we're watching, we're taking in bits of information, but we're actually missing other bits that are going on because we're focusing on that last bit we just heard or saw. Yep. Yeah. Or I think the other thing is you've gone through a difficult experience and now a piece in that documentary just kind of hits you hit you anew or it's like, yeah, I didn't see that before, but I've been going through this difficulty and that, that scene just hits what I'm going through. So yeah, I think our experiences can really impact what we take away each time we watch or or read something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Look, I hadn't, look, probably I have thought about it that, that way before, but thinking about it again, yeah, there is so much that we see differently each time we re, re re-look at something. And yeah, I guess that's why it's important to keep not keep going back over everything, but re-evaluating what we've already learned because then it cements it in our head for where we do need to go or what we are doing. Look, I know myself, being with a few people who have died of cancer over the last 15 years, each time that I've helped someone with cancer, the next time I feel more prepared. I mean, it's, it's still tragic and hard to deal with, but then you learn something new. My first experience was when I was 19, my uncle in the UK was dying of cancer. I learned stuff from that. Then when my sister was ter- diagnosed with terminal cancer, I already had s- sort of a footing of where I needed to be and what I needed to do. Then from her passing, when the next person came along that was dying of cancer, I sort of had an idea and an insight of what happens and how to help that person. And so, you know, it's the same as reading, rereading books, rewatching shows. You learn something new, you take something from that and that helps you in your future. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, just being attentive to our experiences, you know, in the present, what we're going through, again, to your point, watch that documentary, reread that book. We'll just, we'll see it. We'll see it anew. We'll take away new insights from it that can just help us to, to thrive and continue on and grow and develop. And it's really hard to do that though, isn't it? Be in the moment, be in that present moment and just focus on what's happening then because we, we're always bringing in past things and future things that we want to do. Yeah. It, I think you make a good point though, like just being present in the moment. You know, I've heard it said, be present because we may need it when it's the past. And, you know, when we're present to that documentary we're watching, that conversation we're having with someone, when we're present to what we're reading in a book, you know, the moment that that present passes into the past, we may need to go grab it as we are helping talk to that person who's going through cancer or going through our own difficulties. So yeah, the present is so important. 
And look, with the present moment, what I find one of the hardest things people struggle with is actually listening to the conversation that they're having at that time because they're thinking of what they're going to reply with or is that affecting them? And so many different nuances come into your head about what the conversation is happening that you actually only take a small part away from that conversation and then you're ready to make your answer. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And if we want to be understood, let us understand the other. Exactly. And um, I know that's the thing I love about our conversations that I always feel like there's this kind of give and take of seeking to understand each other and then contribute to the conversation, seek to understand and contribute. And so I know I think that's one of the things that just make it enjoyable to hop on and chat with you. Well, look, what I was just thinking while I was giving you my full attention, while I was listening to you, I was remembering back to one of the past podcasts where we actually had to pause it because I was so intentionally listening to what you were saying that you stopped talking and I had nothing to say because I was, I was just so intent on what you were saying. It was like, wow, this is amazing. And then you stopped talking and I was like, oh my God, I need to say something here. I don't know what to say because I was just really listening. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. But that's just the effort to understand. And man, I, it's, I don't know. I think it's great. Yeah, it was, it was good. And I realized then that I, I was listening so intently at what you were saying. It was so important that I got it all in my head. And then you stopped and I was like, oh my God, where am I? I don't know what to say. We had to pause because I had to re recollect my thoughts so that I could answer what you just said. So today we're going to focus on potential, focusing on potential. And I guess that's something that eludes a lot of us, doesn't it? I think it does. You know, I know you had reached out to me here a few days ago from a post I put up on Instagram where I mentioned pizza and uh, if it's okay, maybe I'll just use that as a jumping off point for that and yeah. just get into it, get into a story with it. But, you know, I kind of look at it as two ends of a spectrum of scarcity or potential. Are we focused on what's scarce in our life or are we focused on maybe not abundance, but our potential? Or if we want to bring the word abundance into it, the abundance of our potential. You know, we can yep. change the world if possible, but we can change ourselves if necessary. So we have the potential to change. And the point with that Instagram post was, you know, you order a, a medium Domino's pizza, you eat one piece. Are you looking at it as though, oh, I have one less piece of pizza? Or are you looking at it as, I still have five pieces of pizza? Yeah. And so that's more the kind of this idea of abundance or the potential mindset. And so when it kind of, when you get to the, where the rubber meets the road, back when I was early in my leadership career, so 20 plus years ago, you know, I remember I would look at other leaders who were successful in the area I was working in. And one thing I noticed is like a lot of them were extroverted and outgoing and talkative. And I wasn't necessarily that way. My tendency is typically more introversion, maybe a little bit more shy and reserved. And so really, I began to just obsessively focus on trying to be extroverted and outgoing and talkative, especially because I was in business development at the time. And as I reflect back on that, I didn't see this for many, many years, but as I've just done reading and reflecting and rereading, as we talked about, one of the things I look back on at the time is I was focused on scarcity and my weaknesses on what I did not have, namely extroversion, an extroverted tendency and outgoingness, et cetera. And the, the consequence of that was this, is that as a leader, I was leading a team at that time, I was not appropriately putting my attention on them and their growth and development. I was so focused on trying to overcome my own weaknesses or my own scarcity 
But, you know, Robert Greene has this line that I love, and he says, when we learn to both love and appreciate our strengths and our weaknesses, we can more easily direct our attention to others. And when I started to step into that to say, okay, as a human being, I am able to put on some degree of like outgoingness, extroversion. You know, I'm not a, we're not static beings, we're dynamic. So it's not that I can't put on some of that, but what if I, ab what if I actually focused on number one, knowing my strengths, two, developing my strengths, and three, leveraging my strengths for the good of the team I was leading. When I started to step into that, into that potential, like it was not a small change, I'll put it that way. Right. So it was a huge help. So when we talk about potential, that's what I'm talking about. Potential with what is our tendency? What are our strengths? And are we so focused on trying to overcome our weaknesses or stepping into knowing, developing, and using those strengths? So with strengths and weaknesses, how do you think that most people see themselves? Because I would imagine there would be some people out there that go, oh, I don't have any weaknesses. I'm brilliant at everything I do. So they, they're focused on their strengths. There would be other people out there who go, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. Why, why can't I get on with this? Are there many people in the middle that are quite balanced and understand their strengths and weaknesses? So uh, just speaking personally, I, I have known some other folks. I can think of one mentor that I've had who I thought had a pretty good balance. Like this person had a huge degree of self-awareness of just knowing their strengths, knowing what they weren't good at. And so surrounding themselves with people that were good in those areas. So I have seen it. And I, I think the last several years for me, I've been moving in that direction of more that balance of, hey, Chad, work to, again, understand your strengths develop them and use them in service to others. So I don't, I, I guess what, maybe to answer your question, I don't know that I've seen it a lot. Also, I'm not, I'm, I don't travel a ton, but I have seen it a little bit. Yeah. Cause I would imagine if I was going to say my strengths and weaknesses, I would probably focus more on what my strengths were than what my weaknesses are, because I feel that we don't like to actually acknowledge what we're weak at. Although that might not be the same for everybody. I mean, as I said, some people might be like, well, I can't do all these things. And so if you're focusing on your potential, how do we change negative to positive? Because a lot of people will have ideas of what they want to do, a new job, something that they're working on, a new invention, but then they, they have that self-doubt that pulls them back from going that next step, which could be, I guess it's, we become comfortable in our comfort zone and what we know and what we are aware we can do. So sometimes trying to push past that, there's that fear of something not going right. So it, yeah. does that actually curb our potential by thinking that way? And how do we get around that? Yeah. Uh, personal experience, it absolutely does. So I'll go back to something you said initially, you know, yeah, there probably are people and I, have no doubt that there are people who really do focus on their strengths in a very healthy way. It may depend on like what career field you're in too. Cause I think for me early on, I was in business development and, um, you know, it, and it is a lot of socializing, interacting with smaller and bigger groups. And I think because that was the career field I was in, I thought I had to go like this all out, outgoing extroversion, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, when you talk about self-doubt though, that crippled me. I mean, I left a, a good job because of my obsessive self-doubt. But right. where I've really had a change of thinking the last few years on that is, 
I think self-doubt can actually be something that we use to move us forward. I don't think I don't think it's anything that we try to get rid of as such, but we we endure it where necessary, we overcome it where possible. And so what it means to overcome it in my it, how I've experienced it again, and just on again on some reading that I've done, is self-doubt is it's to see a gap in your life between who you are and who you want to be. So if you take that in like a workplace of leadership, if I go back to my time early in my leadership career, that self-doubt was really this. It was me starting to feel this gap between who I was as a leader and who I wanted to be. Yeah. And now if I had some of the tools that I have now, I would use that tension as really a catalyst to find those resources, those books, those articles, that mentor who could help me to move to be that leader I want to be, that leader who who's able to give and receive digestible feedback, that leader who is able to have meaningful one-on-ones with their staff. But I just sat in the tension. I didn't do anything with that. But now um, I'm willing to step into that tension when I'm experiencing self-doubt to say, okay, what resources do I need to find to move me toward who it is I want to be that that self-doubt is screaming at me? Yep. And what you just said then was what I just jotted down while you were talking because self-doubt can create better solutions, can't it? Because if you're gung-ho at this is what I'm going to do, sometimes you can miss some of those little things that can potentially make the outcome a lot better. And when you are self-doubt and you have a bit of, uh, you're a bit self-critical, you can actually change the way the outcome will be. Because I know a few people who would just go, okay, I'm just going to do this. And then they go, oh, it didn't work. And I think, well, I can actually see two steps already that you should have put in there to make that a better outcome. And if you put five steps in there, it would be an amazing outcome, but you were so intent on getting it done and completed that you miss those little steps that would create such a good outcome. And look, I mean, I guess then those people would go back and go, okay, well, these are the steps I need to take. I'm sure I've done that in the past where I've really wanted to get something done. And then as you're doing it, look, I used to be a painter and I wanted to get the paintings finished really quickly. But as I started speeding myself up, the paintings looked crap because I wasn't taking the time out for the finesse of actually getting the brush strokes how they should have been. And it wasn't perfectionism. It was that I just wanted to get this painting finished. That actually taught me a lot about taking your time over something because the more I sat with it and worked on it and painted it, the better the picture looked in the end. So I guess that's a bit of an analogy for me is that when you rush something, it's not going to produce what you actually wanted it to. Yeah. You know, that got me thinking, you know, there's probably a balance between dwelling and doing. That's that's where my mind was kind of started to go when you were talking about somebody who just kind of rush off, do something. It's like, well, but if you did this stuff, this stuff, it would have been better. You know, sometimes, and this is what I experienced, you can get so stuck in dwelling that you don't move to doing. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes you can move so quick to doing that a little bit of dwelling would have helped to see the steps that you needed to take and perhaps avoid some unnecessary catastrophe and engaged necessary catastrophe in a healthy way. So kind of comes down to that old thing for for me again, with my experience, stop dwelling, start doing, because I tend to get caught in obsessive dwelling where that I don't engage the doing. And for me, that was like starting the business that I'm running now is I just stayed in dwelling so long that finally my wife really helped to kick me and say, all right, it's, it's time to start doing and then get the feedback from that doing. And I guess it's like um, balancing the scales, isn't it? Sometimes it's good if the scales are even, but sometimes you have to move them a certain way to get what you need done. 
but also uh, the dwelling part. Yeah, sometimes it's good. To, look, I guess most of us would do something and then we'd go back to the dwelling stage and go, okay, so I need to rethink this. What are the things that can balance this scale better for me? And then you go back and you might try again and it's still not be perfect, but then you go back and you rethink what you were doing. And so I guess we can all find our own answers by taking the time to sit back and go, okay, what went wrong? Because there are people out there who don't look at the, the issues that went wrong. They just go, oh, well, that didn't work. And then they give up. Yeah. And that's then cutting off their potential, isn't it? Because if you spend a bit of time rethinking what you've done, you will find that your potential is a lot higher than what you thought because, and it's self-belief, isn't it? It's, there's so many things in creating your own potential. Self-belief, I think, is one of them. If you believe you can do it, you can do it. Now, if you ask me as a handyman, 10 years ago, I was great at doing handyman stuff. As I've got older, I'm not as good as, it, as I used to be. But I guess if I practiced it, I would be a lot better at what I'm doing. Now, if I've got a handyman thing to do, I just want it done because I don't want to think about it. It's annoying me. It's making me sit there and procrastinate over how am I going to do this? And, you know, someone said to me the other week, just watch a YouTube video. And I went, oh, why didn't I think of that? When you watch a YouTube video, it shows you step-by-step step how to do it. And it's simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's something with age, you know, as you get older, you think, oh, maybe I can't do that. There's some things that I think I'm brilliant at and other things I think, oh, God, I really need to learn how to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of rewind for a minute when you're talking about, you know, balancing, you know, with like doing and dwelling and kind of going back and saying, what did I write? What did I do wrong? can't remember the gentleman's first name offhand, uh, Keller. He wrote this book called The One Thing. And something he said about balance really stuck out to me. And he said something like this, there's no, balance is an illusion. So if you look at a ballerina standing on his or her tiptoes, they're really not in balance. They're making thousands of micro adjustments every second. And that's something wow. I heard you say when you're saying like, you know, when you're using your hands there, you know, we're continually adjusted. And I think that is, you know, I don't know that we ever hit balance, but we're making those micro adjustments in our decisions to act, to go back and reflect, where did I go right? Where did I go wrong? And, you know, I think one of the things for me, it's been, uh, been this season of learning to be okay with that, that, that maybe that is a redefinition of balance is, Hey, Chad, you're going to continue to make adjustments in how you go about leading others as an example, or how, you know, when you're having to face doubt, face uh, self doubt or self critique, you're going to keep making these pivots, these adjustments. And that's, and that's part of living in that tension. Yeah, perfect. I mean, look, I guess if you were to be in that balance situation, you're really in your comfort zone, aren't you? Because when everything is balanced, that's really when you just sit there and go, okay, I don't need to learn anymore. I haven't done anything wrong. Everything's perfect. I'm balanced. But we always need it to balance either way because then we need to rethink things. Then we need to put them into action. So to be in balance probably is our comfort zone. Yeah. Well, that's a good way of putting it. I hadn't thought of it that way. That is, uh, well, I'm going to camp on that one for a while. That's good. <laughs> well, I only just came up with it by what you said. And I was thinking, well, yeah, actually I was thinking being in, in balance would be the perfect position, but it's not because if you're in balance, you're not striving for anything. You're not going backwards on anything. You're just sitting there and going, well, it's all perfect now. And it's never going to be perfect because there's always going to be more learning. There's always going to be things that you need to work on. So the balance, if you're in balance, you're not in a good position. You need it to be one way or the other. 
Yeah. You know, the other, it's like, you know, Pearsick had this fine. He says, uh, you know, growth. Well, so several years ago, my wife ran an anniversary, we went to the Rocky Mountains and we just did some trail hiking there. And one of the things you notice because they're so tall, there's no growth on the top of those mountains. And Robert Piercig had said, growth is on the sides of the mountain, the journey, not at the peak. And I think of that like metaphor for life. It's the continual striving is where growth is at. So again, if we rethink balance as we're continuing to making these micro adjustments in our life, that golly, that's where the growth is going to be at as we make those adjustments. Yeah, definitely. And, and I guess if you use your your example of walking up a mountain and it's uh, the growth is happening on the way up, yes, because when you get to the peak of the mountain, you've conquered it. So there's your balance because there's no longer either way to go. You're on top. You've that's your comfort zone. I've done it. But then what do you do then? Do you go and climb a higher mountain or do you say, okay, that's where I'm going to stay? So perfect way of looking at it because climbing up the mountain is your growth. When you're at the top, you'll stop growing because you've conquered it. So there's your balance. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of run with that metaphor one step further, you know, once you get to the top of the mountain, satisfaction is but for a time, but it's when you're down at the bottom looking up and then making that trek, that striving, that's that's where a lot of that just that grind, that enjoyment, that learning, that growth is happening. And that's a joy and satisfaction that continues. Yeah. And look, I do want to just drop this in. So people who are listening, who love listening to Chad talking, he will be starting his own podcast soon. I will share that on my social media so you can go and have a listen to it when he starts. Thank you. When I started the podcast, it was the word journey, you know, journey sounds like it's going to take you a million years. But when you start and picking out a microphone, who do you go with? What do you talk about? Blah, 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 blah. Now I'm in my third year and season five. I can reflect back and see how much work went into putting that together, especially that first year where I think, I think the first season went for about 90 episodes because I just didn't want to stop because I thought if I stop, people might not listen anymore. And what I learned through all of that is to come to a position now where I can comfortably come on and talk to anybody who, who appears on the podcast and feel confident about it. You know, there are those little butterflies you get five minutes before you start talking to someone. Even when I talk to you, I know you well, but, you know, because it's like, oh, what are we going to discuss? Look, the seeds of doubt come in. Will I be able to keep up with what Chad's going to talk about? Will I be able to analyze what he's talking about? Will we make a great conversation? You know, there's all those little things, which I guess are pulling away from my potential, because if I look back on the conversations we've had, we've always had great interactive conversations, but you still have those seeds of doubt when you start again, don't you? And I'm three years in. I mean, in November, it'll be four years since I started the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think kind of going back to just rethinking some of some of those feelings, you know, it's like we can use that emotion to move us to act, to move us forward. Just like, I know we've talked about this in a previous episode, but just grabbing the energy that's in that emotion that's expressing itself as butterflies in the stomach. And we can really grab that to move us forward to act rather than to withdraw and, you know, cancel the conversation, for example. And so that could be quite liberating, I found, is grabbing that energy and that emotion. Yeah. And look, I mean, some some of the people I've spoken to, people have said, 
How did you get that person? How did you start a conversation with them? How was it on the podcast? Did you feel inferior? And, you know, I reach out to lots of different people. I hate the word reach out. I connect with a lot of people. And, you know, some people come back, some people don't. And I've had more people come back and say, yes, I want to be on than who've said no. And when they do come on, yeah, it's the butterflies before. Oh, like I just said to you, am I going to know how to analyze this conversation? Am I going to enjoy what we're talking about? Am I going to know what Chad's talking about? It's the same with every guest. You know, you have those first nerves before you start. And I guess that's a good thing because it puts it in your head of the perspective of, well, you've done so many podcasts. I think you'll be close to the 200th episode. So yeah, self-doubt focusing on the potential. I mean, yeah, you know, I think kind of bringing that, but it's healthy. Yeah. And bringing the potential, especially when you're experiencing that self-doubt five minutes before you go on to do a podcast recording. Again, when you were saying that, I was just reminded of the importance of decision-making when we're experiencing that self-doubt. And I think what you said is a great example of that. So, you know, I think of often the teaching of every one of us are filled with potential. And that potential becomes reality through our decisions, not our conditions. And so if I kind of use your example, the condition is I have these butterflies in my stomach. I have this nervousness or, or whatever you want to call it. That's the condition. But you living out your potential is the decision you make in light of that. The decision of I'm going to go ahead and do this a podcast. I'm going to go ahead and reach out to that person to be a guest. So we reach our potential, not so much in the conditions of what we're feeling or experiencing, but of the decisions we make in light of those conditions. And I think if we were to look back, say, 30, 40 years ago, where people took a job and stayed in their job till they were 65 and retired, got their gold watch. I mean, we are now more in a society where we have to adapt and change, aren't we? There are so many differences from when, I mean, look, there's no such thing, I don't think, anymore as staying in a job for those 40, 45 years because the companies are always looking for someone with new ideas or is better uh, placed than you. And in this day and age, we're living in an environment where change is inevitable because you have to keep, it, it's almost like being a chameleon. You need to adapt to your surroundings or change your surroundings to get further. Uh, uh, do you sort of know what I mean? Yeah, I think, you know, part of that you were saying about like as a person gets older and, you know, they may, you know, at age 55, they lose their job. And so now they just got to go find something to pay the bills. And now maybe they find themselves on a factory line and it's so different from what they were doing. They just don't see any potential for them to grow in that, whether it's getting a promotion or just themselves personally. They don't find any way yeah. to just grow and develop themselves. But what I would say is there's still potential for them to live out as they're putting widgets together on that factory line. The potential could be in them um, growing their mindset to build relationships with other factory workers on that line and, and encouraging them because maybe some of them are just there to to just clock in their, their hours for the day, get the paycheck and go. But you can begin building relationships with them and helping them to find meaning and potential in that work. And some of that may be hey, when we put this widget together and it goes on that car, just think what that means to that family that's taking that cross-country vacation. And so they're kind of picturing what we're doing, how it benefits others. And that can really kind of spur on some just people stepping into their potential of having a measure of understanding and excitement about what they're doing, what it means for the person that's buying their product. You know, I was visiting with someone here not too long ago 
they work at a McDonald's and they were having this struggle about just, you know, like they're really not able to step into their potential doing the work and, you know, just some of their other coworkers are typically negative and complaining in that environment. And so one of the things I challenged them with was this, you know, think about what if you just had this top-notch customer service where you were greeting people right away, you were thanking them for their business, you were wishing them a happy day. Maybe you were finding one quick thing out about their life in the drive-through, whatever that is. Imagine the, your potential you're stepping into and modeling that for everybody else there who's complaining. And maybe you'll change one person four years down the road when they're into another job. They're like, you know, I can remember when he was doing that at the drive-through, you know? It's so yeah. some of this thinking through like just those with whom you work, how can you possibly benefit them, even if it isn't a job that you don't care for? Wow, that's brilliant. Look, I hadn't thought about it like that. And I, I guess as they're talking to each other, they're spreading potential, aren't they? Because people are becoming aware of what their potential could be. Whereas they were thinking, look, I'm just working in a factory. I'm never going to change anything. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I've never thought of it like that before. You know, the factory worker being able to spread potential and to encourage other people. And I, I guess it is just that little seed of change, of changing your self-doubt, of making you look at things in a better way than to just be, I just work in McDonald's or I just work in a factory. And, and those people who are working in a factory could go on to become a foreman, to become a manager, to become something else. Yeah. So there is always potential, isn't there? I guess it's just how you look at finding that potential. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one thing that I have found helpful, and I've talked to some other people about this, is if you're, especially if you're in a job that you don't like, whether it could be the work itself, maybe it's the people you work with, maybe it's your boss, is to think of your work as a game of learning. It's your game of learning. You own this game. And everybody in your game of learning is an ally to your learning. Even those who maybe are against you, you have a coworker who just doesn't like you, they're against you. They're still an ally to your learning because they can teach you something about yourself, how you come across to them. They could teach you something about yep. them, you know, and they can even teach you something about your work environment. And so, again, I think if we're in a job we don't like, but we just don't see that we can live out our potential, engage it as a game of learning to see what you can learn about yourself, other people, or maybe your boss. And I've actually have done that uh, years ago when I was when I was in a job where I was really struggling. I started to engage it that way and golly, it was a game changer for me. And I just started journaling a ton in the mornings and the evenings about what I was learning in that environment. And it was, it, it was just a huge encouragement to me. And I think it really helped me to step into my potential as a leader with where I'm at now. Not that I don't have room to grow, but it helped me to step more into that potential uh, when I started to see it that way to see what could I learn from where I'm at right now. And to be honest with you, some of that was like, okay, what, what, I think this is an unhealthy environment where I'm at right now. I don't have any options of getting out of it right now. So I just need to take some notes about what an unhealthy environment looks like so that if I ever get out of this, like I've got some lessons I'm taking with me. Cause you know, ultimately it, 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 it you know, it's been said experience is a farce. It's what we learn that matters. And so, you know, again, I could have 15 years of leadership experience, but if all that experience did was reinforce unkindness, lack of humility and rudeness, then that experience is all for naught. But if we engage our experience to see what there is to learn, we could take that learning into relationships with our coworkers, our spouse, our friends, et cetera. 
Wonderful. That's really good. Yeah, look, that's just, that's left me a bit stunned by what you said because, you know, you never, I never think of it in that way. And wow, that's amazing, mate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, some people can stay in a job and hate it. And if they never learn from their experience, then they do stay the same, don't they? They stay stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even get worse. Maybe they start to descend into that whining, moaning, and complaining. Because, I mean, another thing, you know, I I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, so sorry if it's a little redundant, but, you know, you think of your attitude in that. I mean, I've always, not always, but I see it as an unhealthy attitude in, say, a work environment, for example, it is blaming, moaning, and complaining. But a healthy attitude allows us to face a difficult situation to either well, our attitude determines whether we learn from it or languish in it, in that difficulty. But if we have a healthy attitude, it'll help us to move forward to what it is we want to accomplish and who it is we want to be. So even if we're stuck in that particular job, a healthy attitude can help us to step into learning what there is to learn about, again, ourselves, the other person, or our environment. And so putting on a healthy attitude is huge. And healthy attitude doesn't mean like, you know, if you just paint a smile on your face and, you know, yell hoorah <laughs> when you walk in the door. But a healthy attitude is one that allows you to learn in the midst of it, in the midst of that difficulty. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and I'm glad you clarified that because otherwise we could be going into toxic positivity. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep. Chad, as always, brilliant conversation, really interesting, really made me think about a lot of different things. And I guess in my own head, sort things out because, yeah, you just bring so much to the table every time we talk. It's, it's amazing. I I hope the listeners get as much out of it as what I did and uh, Thanks. as much as you did. Yeah. Yeah. Great to have you back on. If you're not following Chad, follow him on Facebook and Instagram. I know you have a website as well. Is that Teal? Tealconversations.com. Teal Conversations. Yep. Yep. So make sure you follow Chad and uh, when his podcast is released, I will uh, do an update on Instagram so you can go and have a listen to him talk solo. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Chad, as always, thank you so much for giving me your time. It was an abundance of uh, potential has been unlocked in me. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Daniel. It's always a joy. All right. No worries. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and share on social media and subscribe. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and watch live conversations on Wednesdays and get daily updates. You can also follow the YouTube channel and watch live conversations and listen to the podcast from there. Keep sending in your emails and messages as I love reading them and interacting with you, and I'll always respond to you. So until next week, take care of yourselves and each other.